Good morning, everyone. <laughs> Welcome to the Afro Mexico podcast. And today we're going to be talking about consolidation of power and government. And I'm pretty sure Mexico is going to have more fun than I would because this is. But in case you're wondering, to consolidate means to make stronger or to make solid. Yep. And so, without further ado, I would like to introduce our guests. We have... Mako, I have something that's actually... What is it? If con is the opposite of pro, then isn't progress, congress the opposite of progress? You know, I really despise a lot of what you say, to be honest. But, oddly enough, I'm not able to go against your statement here. Well, anyways, we... <laughs> well, what... Without further ado, I would like to introduce our guests here. We have the <laughs> aforementioned Mr. Hale. And why not have a first-hand experience by asking somebody who lived there at the time, Mr. Boyd. So. Okay. What time is it? <laughs> I don't know, what, 1789? <laughs> something along the lines of that? Just checking. <laughs> Okay, all right, following the rules, let's start with Mr. Hale, all right, so what do you believe is would make a consol a really good consolidated government? Um, a really good consolidated government uh, is one where the people most effectively communicate um, what they want to the people they choose to represent them. Um, in consolidating governments, you understand that there are many different peoples over an area and that they need to form uh, solidly as one group um, to achieve the absolute necessary things to maintain structure in society. So provide for the common defense, um, negotiate treaties, um, and uh, basically provide for uh, the common welfare. Okay, that's, uh, that's a really good point. Actually, I myself do believe that many things need to be taken into consideration. Granted, it may cause a lot of uh, problems in the long run uh, because too many people will have differentiating ideas, factions will be formed even in parties themselves, and this will just lead to a giant mess. Okay, how about you for a different question? If you it's actually a pretty interesting outlook on things, and I'm glad that you caught me on when I said the word faction, which is what I do mean. Um, I thought that's what you were looking for. Yeah, that's, that's why you I use am. that word. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's like, I'm glad like, you caught on to it. Um, if uh, you would like to add on anything to that, Mr. Hill? Yeah. Um, I mean, the, the very real fear of political parties, um, I believe in his farewell address, uh, George Washington addressed the very thing, saying we, we cannot. We cannot. Uh, he had a contested, um, you know, election. Uh, first Vice President John Adams um, going after that seat, and the very next president <laughs> presidency demonstrated his fear. Um, it led to so many, uh, so many acrimonious um, disputes between the Jeffersonians and, and the, uh, the Federalists. Um, but um, yeah, I, I don't think we're, we've strayed very far from his fears. Uh, I think we've gotten quite deep within them. Um, I think uh, what I said before where you want to look at a central government as something accomplishing the basic things that everybody, well, nearly everybody can agree on. 
Um, uh, yes, there are many factions, um, but as the, the parties got too large, uh, you know, consolidation becomes very difficult. Okay, um, just sort of also bring this about is that, do you believe that with factions, instead, uh, even in uh, parties, that um, if they were to separate, right, and or it, actually a better question would be, if everything were to be this thrown out the window and you had to start from scratch and there were many like even more parties let's say maybe even a hundred at this point right would you believe that some would be greater than others and that really a party of that size would never work out and just lead back to a two-party system well uh new york recently uh, moved to rank choice voting um which is a system believed to introduce um, lower the barriers to entry for smaller parties um, to come in or smaller factions um, because what we've seen in the past is uh, someone who you know for instance will say they're a green party but come a general election they'll be a democratic party or someone who say they're libertarian and come a general election well they're a republican um, because of the fear of the first past the post system that we currently use um, but with ranked choice voting uh, yeah I, I think uh, in Europe you'll see in the EU they have many governments where you have to uh, like Mr. Boyd was saying you have to broker agreements um, like the founding father said you just do it and avoid party and uh, yeah they do uh, pluralities more than uh, popularity okay uh, what about you Mr. Boyd do you agree to what Mr. Hale said or what I do, and one of the there's so many unique things about the American American system. Um, many of them that have done well by the country for many years. We seem to be in a position now where those things are turning around and they're harming the country, or seem to be harming the country. Um, for instance, there were two parties, but they were not ideological parties. You weren't a Democrat because you all agreed on all these things and you were all fighting for the same positions. Mm -hmm. The classic Democratic coalition included civil rights people and Southern racists, <laughs> uh, you know, labor, the unions, and company owners and factory owners. So they found ways to find common interests among people, even when there were areas where they could never agree, you know. The NAACP and George Wallace were never going to agree, and yet they managed to stay within the same party. Similarly with the Republicans. We think of the Republicans as being a very far right-wing and very conservative party. When I was younger, not going as far back as 1789, but the governor of New York was Nelson Rockefeller. He was a uh, Republican, long-time, lifelong Republican, and he was one of the most liberal governors in the country. Um, now the parties have become ideological where they are true believers in these things and so there doesn't seem to be room for compromise because you know you, you you can't compromise on your most most important beliefs uh, uh, and so there's a lot of conflict now that didn't used to be there okay um so i'm gonna pass it to anything okay yes I do James thank you um, so from the letter number um, one from the federal farmer to the Republic to the Republican it talks about individual power for the state um, would you agree with the Arthur by saying that individual power for the state would be right in this case I 
Um, to an extent, yes. Um, Justice O'Connor famously wrote a dissent in a case, uh, I want to say Gonzalez versus Rage, but um, it was getting onto the California. The Supreme Court got onto California, or I should say the Attorney General did, because of a grow house for marijuana. And um, they decided that yes, in fact, the federal government had the right to conduct a search, et cetera, et cetera. And Justice O'Connor wrote a dissent. She said, you know what I remember from school? is that we are several states. We are the United States, but perhaps a state can be a laboratory to try something new, and we don't have to bring down the federal hammer every time a state wants to try something different. In other words, where the anti-federalists were trying to make a point, is like some things can be solved at a local level. Some things can be better addressed at the smaller scale. And, um, you know, real fear that you're just going to turn into the same sort of government that they just fled from, where all the control was top down. Um, and so, to a certain extent, yes, I, I understand the concerns of uh, the uh, the author. Okay, what about you, sir? Well, there's a way of looking at this that uh, uh, you know the word that uh, Charles Lee used was sovereign republics. And a sovereign, a king is a sovereign. A sovereign is the source of all power. No one has any power except it comes from the sovereign. So that means each state is a power unto itself, um, just like the nation is. Um, where this gets a little bit tricky, he also talks about his concern that the republics protect private property. And the most valuable private property in the United States at that time and for another 70 years, 80 years, was people, was black people. And I've read that the dollar value of slaves as property, no different than a horse or a cow, uh, was equal to or greater than all the other property in the United States put together. Railroads, factories, ships, houses, barns, farms, everything. Add all that up and you could buy that for less then you would have to pay to buy all the slaves. And so wanting to make sure that there are 13 individual republics which have the right to protect my property, which happens to be people, obviously is the source of problems that had to be a half a million people had to die to settle it in the Civil War. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, during the, or no, before the Constitutional Convention when they were just drafting the Declaration, um, famously, uh, Thomas Jefferson uh, was given primary authorship, but also on the committee, Roger Sherman, uh, Robert Livingston, John Adams, Ben Franklin. Um, and you were there too, huh? Then, yeah, <laughs> I, I might have been there as well. I don't remember seeing you there. Uh, <laughs> you went to the bathroom when you were alive. But um, there was, if you go back in the original version, um, I'm trying to remember, but, but they describe, um, it wasn't the peculiar institution that came later, but, but it's described by the abolitionists, the Adams family, uh, John Quincy Adams and, and all, the, all uh, those previous uh, out of Braintree, Massachusetts, abolitionists from day one. And they had put a line that, you know, and he has traded uh, peoples across oceans. And uh, it was the... Um, in, the in the complaints about the king. In the complaints about the king. And it was the southern delegate. Um, gosh, what was his name? But um, North and South Carolina both. Uh, South Carolina was king and North Carolina always deferred. But um, he said, what is this, you know, strange thing you've written in this declaration against our king? You know, that sort of thing. And he... Um, uh, he asked that it be stricken, otherwise they would vote against 
the Declaration of Independence. And it was. And it was one of the biggest regrets, um, of course. Uh, John Adams, you know, said we'd be hypocrites. But Thomas Jefferson already was. He was a slave owner. Um, and he was a southerner and, and that sort of thing. It was, it was incredibly complicated and yes, paid, paid for uh, still today. Um, but it's bloodiest, uh, still the bloodiest battle the U.S. has ever had in the Civil War. Yeah, I remember that being a shock to most people when learning about it. Um, okay, we have a few more questions for you. Um, does the consolidation of the U.S. government override or lead to the limitations of individual rights today? It's open to whoever goes yeah. <laughs> Well, as you know, being students of history that you are, um, this was one of the major reasons why the Constitution almost wasn't approved. It almost mm. died and people said we can't do this because part of its purpose was to bring greater power to the federal government, to the central government, and that really scared people. And only with the promise that they would make changes. As soon as you pass this, we'll make the changes you want. And if you think about that, most people's reaction would be, well, no, do it now and then I'll vote. Once you have my vote, how do I know I can trust you? Well, back then they accepted people's word and in fact they did follow through with the Bill of Rights, which guarantees most of most of what we consider individual rights. Well, and I, um, the Bill of Rights, I, I, I teach, uh, teach students this when we're talking about um, the first 10 amendments, the Bill of Rights. And when, uh, when I tell them, I say, can anybody tell me what the first five words are of the Bill of Rights? Right? What are the first five words? Not, not any um, um, preface, but Congress shall make no law. And, and then it continues, the First Amendment. Congress shall make no law. In other words, w the reaction of the people is like, wait a minute, uh, we've created a strong federal government. Um, what about these things? We don't want them to do these things. And the Bill of Rights was set up, these are restrictions on government. And we've gotten to a place today where people think they're guarantees of freedoms. They're not. They're restrictions on the government. Congress shouldn't do this. Um, the government won't do this. It won't break into your home. It won't quarter people there. It won't do these things. And they're written to restrict that. And we've gotten to a place today where people are like, well, my rights guaranteed by this. No, no, no. The government's prohibited by that. They, the founders would have said, you have the right. We're just promising not to violate it. Right? This is a subtle distinction, but an important one. Yeah. Important mainly to lawyers. <laughs> <laughs> of course, seeing as you both come from background. You know, just well. one more thing. If you think we're concerned about the federal government, mm -hmm. you know, interfering with people's rights. If you had at that time 13, now presumably it would be 50 sovereign republics like Lee talks about. It seems to me that that would multiply by 50 times the potential for invasion of rights. Um, what we're finding today in many cases is that it's the state constitutions that are providing protections that are greater than what the federal constitution provides in, you know, as interpreted by our more recent Supreme Courts. And so this again, it shows how sometimes those state constitutions can work against you, sometimes for, in these times when the federal government seems to be the one we have to fear the most, actually the states can maybe be your great, your greatest protection. And that's, you know what they what they refer to as the genius of the system yeah um, yeah definitely um, I do see that uh, that state government sort of keep a, keep a better eye out for us in some regard because obviously they're more like deep-rooted in except know, when they don't 
Because the, the state government said you got to be in the back of the bus and you can't drink out of this fountain and all those things too. And then that at that time it was the federal government that had to come in and enforce the U.S. Constitution and say, no, you're violating their rights under the U.S. Constitution. None of those things violated the Alabama or Mississippi or South Carolina or North Carolina or Virginia or Tennessee or, you know, I could go on. But there were many state constitutions that said, that's absolutely fine. In fact, we, we demand it. Do you think um, our the U.S. government, like, is, cons uh, is consolidation um, necessary today in the U.S. government, in your opinion? Are we consolidated enough? Well, <laughs> <laughs> so in the school, I think so. I can't say um, the same about outside. I, I, think, I think framing any question like that, like uh, comparing where the United States is today back to uh, original framers is always complicated because, um, as Mr. Boyd was saying earlier, uh, when we were first established, you know, 13 colonies and just after, it was an incredibly small country. Incredibly small. Um, and when we look at the representative government that was set up, there are things bound in the Constitution by uh, the number of representatives per state. And if we maintain the ratio, I don't, I don't remember what the number is, but it would be tens of thousands of, of House members that we would have if we maintained the population ratios uh, from inception. Uh, senators wouldn't change. Well, only one man, one vote. It's something like a half million person per, per rep now, right? <laughs> right. It's, half yeah. million would have been most Wyoming, of the population yeah. of the entire country at the time. Well, that's why I find it curious for the electoral college vote to sort of sort of spread itself among states where it, what, what was it? Something around like Canada? No, not Canada. What was I saying? California is supposed to have something along the lines of 10 electoral college votes, but those electoral college votes go to other states, like let's say uh, Rhode Island. Rhode Island would typically, under, popu under population uh, standards, be one. Well, the electoral college is, is still by population. Um, yeah, well. Electoral college is by population. Um, the, the actual house, though, the house is, is limited uh, to representatives. Um, uh, both both the House of Representatives and the way the Electoral College uh, were set up to address this agrarian versus uh, urban um, that's been with us since the beginning. Um, that the interests of the, uh, today we call them flyover states, uh, you know, um, that the interests of those people are drastically different than the interests of those who live in the cities. Uh, and for very good, very good reasons. Um, but yeah, that was captured early on. Uh, but uh, I think what what I'm trying to say with the large population, there are far fewer representatives now, even though the number hasn't changed. The population is, you know, hundreds of thousands uh, uh, times what they they probably envisioned. Mm. Uh, you, you too, Mr. Boy. You seem pretty distraught about. My well, no, uh, the California having ten electoral college votes uh, had me screwing up my face probably, but the number the numbers aren't important. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, that's all we have for today. We would like to um, tell you how much we appreciate you for taking part of your day to sit with us. Uh, well, listen, I'm confused by one thing. Mm -hmm. Which one's Afro and which one's Mexico? <laughs> <laughs> Good night, Gracie. <laughs> wow, are you serious? <laughs> okay, well... Anyways. We would like to shout out our biggest fan, Mr. Chauncey Steele. Even though Even I hate though him. <laughs> he called himself Don't Get Steely. We appreciate you for supporting us through all of this. And uh, please don't forget to uh, give us a bonus or a grade, you know.
<laughs> and we will see you on Wednesday. All right. <laughs> bye bye. Okay. Okay. I want to.